Let's pray. Lord God, you are high ruler of all. Be, be thou my vision in my mind, my heart, my soul, my body, my entire being. Be, let us be guided by who you are in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we began uh, to learn from the prophet Samuel and the book of Samuel. And I don't know about you, but two weeks ago is um, could have been like two months ago now, right? So we need to, again, set just briefly some of that context because it's very important for today's message. Now, we don't know the birth of Samuel, the actual date, but the general consensus, it was around 1100 B.C. So that would have been after the book of Judges. Now, if you remember the book of Judges, we have first the Pentateuch, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then there's Joshua. And then comes the book of Judges. So, do you remember at all the very last line of the book of Judges? It's an important one for today. That, the very last verse is, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is a really important verse back then for Samuel and even for us today, right? It seems that everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. Now, in the book of Judges, there were 12 judges. I wouldn't expect you to remember all 12. Actually, uh, there are four that are probably more common. Jo uh, Joshua, Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. You, re you remember those. But more important than remembering all the judges is the pattern of what happened in the nation of Israel. See, God would appoint a judge. They'd be doing well for a little while. Then they would forget the Lord do things against his will, then bad stuff happened. You understand I'm doing cliff notes here. Bad stuff happened. Then they would turn to the Lord again in prayer, and God would give him another judge. This cycle repeated itself again and again, and what you find, it becomes a downward spiral. And it got worse and worse until there was no king in Israel and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Now, the people wanted a king. And it was okay to want a king because actually God had promised a king. Back in Deuteronomy, it says this, When you have come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. And that right there is the sticking point. Do we wait and seek God's choice first? Or do we do what's right in our own eyes? Do we look first to the Lord for His choice? 
Or do we ignore God and do what is right in our own eyes? This is the tension that humanity always has because our nature has not changed. Yes, we say we believe in God, but when times get tough, when things are difficult, many people make a choice to say, yeah, God's over there, but we got work to do over here. And so there's a separation between the two. And so ultimately, this message today is about a choice. Who do you follow even when things get tough? Even when things look to be in chaos? Whom do you follow? Whom do you trust over all things? See, Joshua said this very well, didn't he? Joshua said this, and if it is evil in the in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So you see, when a people reject God, that's a choice. And when people reject God as king, God will then give you what you choose. And this is what happened in Samuel chapter 8. So let's go to our text here. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So here's the situation. When we Two weeks ago, we were with Samuel chapter 3. He was only around 12, 13, maybe 14 by that time, by, at that age. But then many years had passed, and they were eventful years. As a matter of fact, the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant. And then the Ark of the Covenant was returned. So there were a lot of things that went on during that time. But now he's an old man. And he has been a judge over Israel. However, according to Levitical tradition, custom, the sons then were to follow in their father's footsteps. So he made them judges, and they were judges in an area called Beersheba. But, and it's a big but, they were corrupt. They took bribes. They perverted justice. Now, when we take a look at nepotism in our own government, we have an aversion to that, don't we? Right? No matter who is in power, we have an aversion to that because, generally speaking, there is corruption that is occurring. Now, this is not only odious to us, it is odious to God as well. Not only does political corruption go against our sensibilities, but it goes fully against God's word. Exodus chapter 23, verse 8. And you shall take no bribes, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. 
The Old Testament really applies today, doesn't it? Yeah. Leviticus 19. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. So corruption shows not only moral decay, it shows a rejection of God's word. So imagine now, you're the elders of Israel. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And now Samuel, the judge of Israel, his sons are corrupt. So what do you do? Do you go to Samuel and say, Samuel, you got a clean house here. you got to get your sons in line or get them out of the way. No, no, they don't do that. That would have been too reasonable. They say, we want a king. It says this, Then all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And if you want to circle something in your Bible, circle that like all the nations. That's the sticking point. Because really, what's the big deal? Couldn't Israel just be have a king and be judged like all the rest of the nations? No. You see, Israel was never called to be like the nations. Israel was called apart by God to be His people. They were never, ever to be like the rest of the nations. Leviticus chapter 20. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the people. You should be mine. Leviticus 18.30 So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs of the pagan nations that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. God said, you're my people. I have set you apart. You are never to be like those pagans. And the pagans worshipped many different gods. And most of the gods they worshipped were unknowable gods. Gods just out there. No personal relationship. Just to be feared. To be prayed to. But God, Yahweh, had an entirely different relationship with the nation of Israel. In fact, It was a covenantal relationship that was like marriage where God is the groom and Israel is the bride. If you take a look at the covenant that God makes with Israel, Exodus chapter 6, I will take you. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. It's really like a marriage vow, isn't it? In a marriage, don't we say, I take you to be my wife. I take you to be my husband. And then there are promises that we give each other in that vow of marriage. Do you understand how personal how intimate of a relationship God has with the nation of Israel. And this idea 
that Israel being the bride is throughout Scripture. If you take a look at Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea. Hosea says this, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know. Then you will know the Lord. This is a marriage that he has. He says, you are mine. You are never to be like any other nation. And I don't know if you know this, but the idea of marriage carries through the New Testament as well. That we, the church, are the bride of Christ. In Ephesians, talking about the relationship between a husband and wife. Here we have a wonderful example of how Christ is the groom and we the, and the church are the bride. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We are the bride of Christ. And we are to be unsullied by the rest of the world. We are called out by Him to be holy, to be faithful. And when Israel, or when the church, becomes just like the rest of the world, just like any other nation, it is as if we are an adulteress to God. And that's how he talks about this relationship. So Israel was never, ever, to be like any other nation. And the church, the bride of Christ, is to never be like just the rest of the world. But when push comes to shove, it's so easy to see how that's given up. That we somehow separate, yes, this is the spiritual stuff, but we got to take care of the pragmatic stuff over here. When circumstances are overwhelming, we somehow separate the things of this world and the spiritual as if they are two different spheres that have nothing to do with each other. You know, the church is declining, so we better uh, get more youth here. Let's have a rock concert with lasers and smoke. Hillsong, by the way, did a women's weekend or women's retreat in which one of their pastors dressed up as the naked cowboy from New York. Now, he did wear swim trunks. But isn't that just being like the rest of the world? Completely. And there's example after example after example. You know, some churches, they go, well, if we talk about sin, that's going to make people uncomfortable. So let's not talk about sin. And let's just make people as comfortable as possible so we get more bodies in the door. But for me, as I've been thinking, studying, and praying, this whole idea of separating the two, the spiritual from the pragmatic, uh, 
kind of hit home here when we talk about our finances. You know, the church's finances. Yes, we trust God, but, right? When you put the but in there, it's like, yeah, God's over there. He'll do His thing, but we got to do our thing over here separate from Him. As if the two aren't interconnected. And so I did something very impractical a couple weeks ago. I sat down and prayed. Now, I've been praying throughout, but I just sat down and prayed. And here's what I sensed. Pray and wait upon the Lord. What do you mean? We can't just run around and take action and do everything else. Pray and wait upon the Lord. And so I did. And now it's not that we haven't done things. We're going to talk about the things we've done. But God moved hearts. God erased our entire first half deficit. Amen? Yeah, so, yeah, it is. So, that whole thing of, yes, I trust God, but... Right? No, it's got to be fully, fully trusting God in all that we do. This is the issue that Israel had back in Samuel's day. When you reject God as king, he will give you what you ask for. But the thing displeased Samuel when he said, when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the Lord, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So Samuel takes this very personally, doesn't he? I mean, and rightly so, because he's been a faithful judge for many years. And when things are taken personally, it's easy to lose perspective. So the first thing he does, he doesn't just run away or do things. He prays to the Lord. And the Lord gives him perspective. So, the first perspective is this. It's not the fault of Samuel's leadership. It's because they have rejected God as king. And this is really the heart of the issue that I've been addressing as a nation, right? What do, who do we honor above all things? Look, Martin Luther summed it up this way. He said, their sin was not their desire for a king, for after all, God gave them one. God had promised them a king. But rather, they set their trust on human help and government when they should have trusted in God alone, this was a grave sin. So let me ask you, it's not necessarily a rhetorical question or an academic question, it's a very real question. Do we trust God more than the government? This is not an academic question. 
It is a question that is actually, I would say, at the heart of the division in our country right now. You've heard the phrase, trust the science, right? And you've heard how that's been used regarding COVID, but then also the same thing that men can be women. Trust the science. You've heard it regarding politicians, that they know better. And by the way, I'm not degrading all politicians here. But there's this sense, right, in our country of ruling over. So we find that in politics, we find that in science, we find that in education as well. We find all of this. And again, this is not to say that all politicians are bad. There are some very good people fighting the good fight. But this is what's at heart. And here's what we do as a country, though. Every four years, we elect a new king or president. But it's like a king, isn't it? I mean, you take a look at the ceremonies that we have afterwards, right? After the swearing in. And it's all pomp and circumstance as befitting a king. And rather than looking to God, we look to mankind for a savior. Yes, we have faith on one side, but we also need a savior too here on earth. And this is the dichotomy, this is the split that is tearing our nation apart. But this has been going on for a long time because we ultimately choose mankind rather than the divine. We often forsake God and look to mankind for a savior. We reject God as king and look for a king here on earth. Go back to the gospel reading. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with this man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The people had rejected Jesus as king, and that goes on to this very day. Now, people will accept Jesus as a good guy, a good teacher, a moral example, all of those things, but they reject him as being truly king. Because if he were king, that would mean you would be his subject, and you would need to follow his laws, his rules, his commandments, and the people reject that. They reject God back then. They reject Jesus to this very day. And why is that? Because our nature hasn't changed. Rejection of God as king is not new because our human nature has not changed. And this is the second perspective that God gives Samuel. It says this, according to all the deeds they have done from the day 
I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. From the very beginning, the people rebelled against God. Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments. What did the people do? Golden calf, right? Make other gods for us. So immediately they rejected him. And then when they were being led, they complained about the food. They complained about the water. They complained about everything. They complained. I'm sure they complained about manna too, right? You sustained us with manna, but we don't like it. No. Want some variety in my diet. So they complain and they forsake God, just as we do to this very day. So God told Samuel that he would give Israel what they asked for. Did you ever grow up with the adage, be careful what you ask for? You might get it. So indeed, God says, all right, I'll give you what you ask for. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. Now, I'm not going to read the whole section, but I'm going to condense it. This is what the new king's going to do. He will take your children to serve him. Be the supreme commander and have all aspects of war under his command. He will take your food. He will take your money. He will take your belongings. And then you will be his slaves. Sounds good to you. <laughs> so, oh, it sounds like today. Sorry, misheard. It does sound like today, doesn't it? You see, during this time of upheaval that we're in, people have ceded their freedom in so many different ways. Freedom is often taken for granted. And when we give it up, we easily become slaves. And we become slaves. When it's, and we realize it when it's too late. Now, by the way, I am not preaching, teaching, or implying any national uprising. You understand that? Because as Christians, we actually don't do that, but we stand for the freedom that Christ has given us. And so we must stand in that freedom because we so easily give it up and become just like everybody else. But we are the bride of Christ. We are not to be like everybody else. It says this, And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now look, if you got a warning like that, right? Samuel says, look, they're going to take your food, your children, your money. You're going to become slaves. What would you do? You go, well, we don't want that. But they rejected God as king. And so they rejected what Samuel said as well. And they said this. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so the people got what they asked for. 
they got Saul, who was not a good king at all. And he reigned for 40 years. Okay. I have to admit, in working on this sermon, I kept looking for a way to make it happier. I did, you know. This is, this is not one of those happy sermons that you tie up in a nice, neat little bow and people go on their way. This is about a choice that you, that we all need to make every single day because freedom so costly bought for us is so easily given up. See, the choice that we make either leads to slavery and death or freedom and life. That's the choice before you this day. So the first choice to help you is to be unlike the world. Oh, brothers and sisters, we are the bride of Christ. He has paid dearly for us. And we are to be before Him without blemish. To be His and only His. And the second is like the first. It is to have Jesus as your King. To rule over all aspects of your life. Not to separate one thing from another. But to have Him be rule over all things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are our King. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, keep our hearts, our minds, our lives protected, guided, so that we as the bride of Christ may honor you and cherish you every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 